Our Bible has more than 1,500 pages, with about a fourth of those pages being in the New Testament. Our New Testament is made up of 27 books. We call them books, but most of them are letters written by different writers, servants of God to different churches. The letters are also known as the epistles and were mostly written by apostles. The apostles were not just servants of God, but those who actually saw Jesus after his resurrection and were called by him to be sent out by him to reach people with the gospel. Paul was different from the others in that he met Jesus in person on the Damascus Road after Jesus had ascended into heaven and had been gone for some time. Paul wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament, even though he wrote almost half the books of the New Testament, the total number of his pages written was less than one third of the pages of the New Testament. Most of what we know about Paul comes from what Paul wrote. His ministry was one of action he traveled all over the place, bringing people to Jesus, planting churches, mentoring new Christians, and teaching and preaching and risking his life for Jesus until the, the day he died for Jesus. Paul's purpose for writing was to teach and counsel people in the churches where Paul had already been. In writing those letters, <clears throat> Paul was able to communicate long distance. Sometimes he wrote from a prison cell where he was in prison because he was telling people about Jesus. Paul was a great evangelist. Some people have said that Billy Graham was the greatest evangelist since the Apostle Paul. We know Billy Graham was a great evangelist. Having preached to many millions of people. <clears throat> Over the centuries, Paul's writings have reached even more people. God chose and prepared Paul ahead of time before Paul knew Jesus. Paul was a Pharisee. He was a Jew who knew Jewish culture. He knew how to speak in synagogues. He was a learned man. He knew the Old Testament and could speak with authority to the Jewish experts. Paul was a citizen of Rome, which gave him some freedom not enjoyed by non-citizens. He had access to Roman officials. Paul could read and write. Those skills were an, an important part of his ministry. Paul had a skilled trade as a tent maker. That was an important skill. In those days, when some people lived in tents and others needed tents when they traveled, God used all of Paul's abilities in the ministry God called him to, to do. Paul had been in the enemy's camp, serving the enemy, before he met Jesus. Paul knew now that the salvation comes only from Jesus and not from adhering to Jewish laws and traditions. Over the centuries, the Jews had added to the Ten Commandments and kept all the rituals. They were proud of being Jews and taught that God was their God and that anyone who wanted to belong to God had to buy into all the rules and rituals.
Now, some of the Jews had become believers in Jesus, but they had a hard time shaking off the old Jewish laws. They didn't understand that all they needed was Jesus. They wanted to add to the requirements for salvation. It was Jesus and the old Jewish laws and traditions. Some of them thought that Gentile believers were second-rate Christians. Maybe God loved them, but they were they weren't good enough to associate with the Jewish Christians. In Galatians 2, Paul tells of having confronted Peter. Peter had been having fellowship with Gentile Christians. Then when some important Jewish Christians arrived, Peter was apparently more concerned with impressing them than he was with being an example for the Gentile Christians. In breaking fellowship with the Gentile believers, he was, in effect, telling them they weren't really important. They might see his behavior and decide that none of this Jesus stuff was real. Paul saw through Peter's behavior. Paul didn't want the Gentiles to think that Jesus wasn't enough. He didn't want them to think that they really had to become Jewish in order to be saved. Being Jewish wasn't a problem for Peter. He was already Jewish when he met Jesus. But Peter knew better than to impose his Jewishness on Gentile believers. We read in the book of Acts where Peter had gone to the house of the Roman centurion to tell him and his family about Jesus. That meeting was arranged by God. God gave Peter a vision of different kinds of animals to eat, including non-kosher animals, and told Peter it was all good to eat, because God said it was. God had already answered the prayer of the Roman centurion and told him to send for Peter, so Peter could tell him about Jesus. And Peter witnessed to the Gentiles there. They believed and received the Holy Spirit. The Gentiles didn't need anything else. Paul warned that adding requirements to faith in Jesus made faith in Jesus to be not faith in Jesus, but faith in those other religious ideas. Paul said, we are now dead to the law, that we might live unto God. Paul said that if righteousness comes by obeying the law, then Jesus died for no reason. Paul wrote to the church in Galatia to reinforce what he had taught them that before because they had been exposed to the uh, to a perversion of the gospel since the last time Paul had preached to them. These were Gentiles far away from what we know today as Israel. Paul was preaching to people who had never been Jews. Paul had told them about Jesus. He told them they were saved by faith, not by works. Paul started the church of Galatia, Paul moved on to start churches in other places. Then came the Judaizers. They were preaching that people who trusted in Jesus also needed to obey Jewish laws if they wanted to be truly saved. Before Jesus came, the Jews didn't care about the Gentiles. They didn't go out and try to make Jewish converts out of them. So this was something new. Some Jews had become believers in Jesus and brought all of their old beliefs with them. That is understandable, but not necessary. Jesus was born a Jew. He was sent first to the Jews. But the Jewish nation 
Jesus was sent to had become, over the centuries, contaminated by the laws and rituals and culture and institutions that were added and modified by God's chosen people, turning the whole system into something that glorified the Jews more than a glorified God. Some of the new Jewish Christians wanted to tell people about Jesus and also turn them into Jews. In the book of Acts, we meet Saul. Saul was a product of his, this Jewish nation. He was educated to be a Jew in every respect. He defended the Jewish way of life, believing he was doing things God's way for God's chosen people. He had gone so far as to persecute the followers of Jesus. Saul was under no illusion that this new set of people, this new sect of people, following a renegade rabbi named Jesus, could blend in and be part of a pure Jewish religion. He knew the new way of looking at things was incompatible with the old way of doing things. Then Saul was knocked to the ground on the road to Damascus. He met Jesus. He saw the light. The light blinded him. Jesus asked Saul why he was persecuting Jesus. Then he told Saul to get up and go into town and wait for further instructions. Saul was led into town. He didn't eat or drink for three days. He prayed. He saw a vision that a man would come and heal him so he could see again. Jesus sent a believer to pray for him. Paul got his sight and also became a follower of Jesus. That was the beginning of Saul's turnaround. He became known as Paul, which was the Greek name for Saul. He left that Jewish name behind along with the Jewish way of doing things. He had been defending the purity of the Jewish way of life, and now he was a new man. He was spreading the gospel of Jesus. Now he had to write to the church in Galatia and defend the purity of the gospel of Jesus. He knew it could, he, it could not mix with the old religion. Jesus illustrated that in Luke 5, 37, he, saw, he said, you don't put new wine into old wineskins. As it ferments, the new wine will expand, bursting the old wineskins, which had already been stretched to the limit. That old-time Jewish religion didn't have room in it for the gospel of Jesus. Man cannot be saved by faith in Jesus plus works. That would disregard the sacrifice of Jesus. Paul explained to the Galatians they were saved by faith in Jesus, period. They were not saved by Jewish law. In John 8.32, Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We are no longer in bondage to sin. We certainly don't need to get into bondage with a bunch of religious rules and regulations. God had given his chosen people the Ten Commandments. Other rules were given to help Jews understand how to apply those Ten Commandments and also how to give sacrifices and how to properly do things in the temple to facilitate the act of worship. 
some regulations were given for hygiene and diet to to set the Jewish apart Jews apart from those around them because the Jews were God's chosen people and they needed to know they were different. These things were needed to build a foundation for the Jewish culture, to set the stage for the future time when Messiah was to be born and raised in the Jewish nation. This was the framework of the ministry of Jesus. He was more than just another Jew. He is the son of God. He started his work among the Jews and chose a select group of apostles to let the world know he was the only son of the only true God, not some pagan deities. The God who was revealed to his people, the God who sent his son to his people, and the God who is inviting other predestined people to be part of his family. People needed to understand this God is different from all those pagan gods out there in the world. He is the one true God. In John 4.22, Jesus told the woman at the well that salvation is from the Jews. His Jewish apostles were to spread the word about Jesus, who was rejected by the Jews. The Jews didn't believe he was the Son of God. Jesus didn't fit their definition of a Messiah. They were expecting a mighty warrior who would lead an army that would destroy the Romans who were occupying the Jewish land. The Jewish leaders didn't even want that, really. They were comfortable with the system as it was. They were ruling over their own people on the inside, making a profit from that, while Roman armies uh, protected them from enemies on the outside. Jesus came along and rocked the boat, exposing their hypocrisy and telling the people they needed to get right with God and love their neighbors. The Jewish leaders didn't want God's son to come in and tell them how to run their lives and relate to their neighbors. They killed Jesus. After three days, he rose from the dead and stayed around for 40 days to tell the disciples how to spread the word. Now the followers of Jesus were more troubled than they ever were before. Paul tried to tell the Jews about Jesus, but they wouldn't listen, so he went to the Gentiles. Now he had to steer the Gentiles away from bondage to Jewish law and bondage to sin. Paul talks about this in Galatians 5. Paul tells the Galatians to live freely, but Paul goes on to warn them about misusing that freedom. Paul says to live by the power of the Holy Spirit, not under the law, which doesn't give you the power to do right and only tells you that what you are tempted to do is wrong. We cast off the works of the flesh. In Galatians 5, 19-21, Paul says not to use your freedom in being immoral and living an immoral lifestyle. Paul says those who use their freedom in this way will not inherit God's kingdom. We bear the fruit of the Spirit. In verses 22 and 23, it is written, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Against these, there are no law. There is no law. 
The fruit is the evidence of the spirit. Legalism breeds competition. That leads to comparing ourselves with others or comparing our loved ones to others. Pride and coveting come next. Love your neighbor and love the person God created you to be. Paul wrote a letter to the Ephesians during the, his first time as a prisoner in Rome. According to the commentary in my Bible, Paul wrote several letters which became short books in our Bible while he was a prisoner. He led a very busy and active life, starting churches in many places, but when he was a prisoner, he had time to write about it. He wasn't just writing memoirs. He was writing to those churches he had started to encourage them in their walk with God and to redirect them when he had received word they were gone astray. This book of Ephesians is believed to be not just to the Ephesians, but to several of the churches in Asia Minor. Copies of it were sent to different churches. That belief is based on the fact that it doesn't deal with problems of a particular church, which it could have, because Paul had spent three years in Ephesus. Before all this, Paul had been accused of treason by the Jews. The charges were false. They just didn't want him to be out and telling people about Jesus. They had conspired to kill Paul, but were prevented from doing so when someone found out, and Paul was protected on his way to trial. But the case didn't come to trial, and Paul was imprisoned in Caesarea for a couple of years without being brought to trial. He appealed to appear before Caesar because he was a Roman citizen. So he was sent as a prisoner to Rome. He was apparently in private quarters under guard at his own expense, or possibly in or near the barracks of the Praetorian Guard. He was there for about two years. He was finally released because his accusers from Jerusalem never showed up for the trial. After some years traveling and spreading the gospel, he was arrested again and brought back as to prison in Rome. It is believed that Nero at this time was persecuting Christians for political reasons. A major fire had burned much of Rome, and people wanted to blame their emperor Nero. Nero shifted the blame and said the Christians had done it. So, as a prominent Christian, Paul was arrested. Paul wrote 2 Timothy during this imprisonment. In the 6th and 7th verses of chapter 4, he said, I am being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. After having written Second Timothy, Paul was executed. He was not crucified because he was a Roman citizen. They gave him the quicker, more civilized death of having his head cut off. Before all that, in his first day as a prisoner in Rome, Paul wrote that letter to the Ephesians to be shared with other churches in the region. Paul was confident that God wasn't finished with him.
Paul didn't know when he should, when he would be released. In the meantime, he was writing to his brothers and sisters in Christ. He told them the war is already won. We don't work for victory. We work from victory. And Ephesians 5, 22 through 6, 1, Paul talks to the church about how they are to relate to each other. What he says here looked familiar. So I looked at BibleGateway.com and typed in the keyword masters. I found pretty much the same list of admonishments in Colossians chapter 3, verses verse 18 through chapter 4, verse 1. So Paul had written pretty much the same piece of advice to the church at Colossae. Heard about a pastor who preached the same sermon he had preached before. Someone pointed it out to him. He said, well, it wasn't worth, if it wasn't worth repeating, I wouldn't have preached it the first time. But back to Ephesians, Paul says, the wife is to be subject to her husband as to the Lord. The church is subject to Christ, so the wife is subject to her husband. A husband is to love his wife as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. He is to love her as he loves his own body. Here Paul quotes Genesis 2.24, which says, For this reason, man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Paul said this is a mystery similar to Christ and the church. We as a church are one with Christ. In chapter 6, Paul goes on to say that children are to obey their parents, and we are to honor our father and mother. Fathers are not to provoke their children to anger, but to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves are to serve their masters as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Paul tells the masters to remember they are serving the Lord, who is really the master and their own master, and God is not partial to either one. Now, Paul is no longer talking about the relationships among the brothers and sisters in Christ. He is talking now about preparing for spiritual warfare. We are not to go out and try to fight in our own power. I am reminded of David when he went up against Goliath. The giant was not only bigger and stronger than anyone else on the battlefield, he was wearing armor and had a soldier close by holding a shield for him. King Saul offered his own armor for David to wear against Goliath. David tried it on and it didn't fit. Of course it didn't fit because Saul was a big man. According to 1 Samuel 9, 2, even though he wasn't as big as Goliath. David had on the full armor of God that Paul talked about in Ephesians. Goliath didn't see it, but it was there. David knew he would win because he was on God's side, fighting in a battle where God had already decided the winner. God gave the victory to David. Paul spent a number of years in prison. He had time to observe his Roman guards. 
he had time to think about their armor. He thought about the spiritual implications. He knew <clears throat> that Roman guards standing close by was not his real enemy. Knowing Paul, he found ways to talk to those Roman guards and tell them about Jesus. Eventually, the Christians in Rome included believers from all walks of life, including Roman soldiers. In verse 12, Paul said, We are not fighting against flesh and blood, but against the world forces of darkness, against supernatural powers, against the spiritual forces of wickedness. When we see things in the news that make no sense whatsoever, people doing stupid things, world leaders doing things that destroy people, even the people in their own country, saying immoral things are good things and perversion is a civil right, and killing innocent unborn babies is a constitutional right. <clears throat> when we see things like this, we can understand that it is the work of the devil. It is a real conspiracy. This is not just some communist plot. This is not just some political attempt to take over the government. Yes, those human minions are at work promoting these absurd actions. Yes, crazy people are committing mass murders. They might not know they are inspired and manipulated and motivated by Satan, but they are in fact in his army. Paul is telling us to put on God's armor for the spiritual battle. In Isaiah 59, 17, God himself put on the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, and garments of vengeance, and a mantle of zeal to go out against his enemies. Here Paul talks about girding up our loins with truth, putting on the breastplate of righteousness, putting on our feet the preparation of the gospel of peace. He said, take up the shield of faith, which will extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Put on the helmet of salvation. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The first garment is the truth, and then build on that. The breastplate of righteousness is the same one Isaiah talked about. We are to do what is right. We are not to do what is evil while calling it a good thing. Paul agreed with Isaiah that we need the helmet of salvation. Both knew that salvation is from the Lord. As one who knew the Lord Jesus, Paul's understanding of that salvation was more complete. When we put on our feet the preparation of the gospel of peace, it is like putting on your athletic shoes before running or playing sports. We are not just standing around, but are going out to spread the gospel. Our shield of faith extinguishes the flaming arrows of the devil. They say the Roman shield was tough leather soaked in water before battle so that flaming arrows would be extinguished when they hit the shield. Maybe being wet and slippery helped the shield to deflect the glancing blow of an arrow. Paul's shield of faith would be more effective. The offensive weapon here is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It is the truth unleashed. It is what cuts through the, the lies of the devil. Paul says to pray at all times in the Spirit. 
Pray for the saints, that is, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul tells them specifically to pray for Paul, that he would be bold in proclaiming the mystery of the gospel. Paul wrote this from prison. He didn't ask them here to pray for his release from prison. He wanted boldness to witness to those who were keeping him in prison. We're not locked up in prison, but we need to pray for that boldness to be ambassadors for Christ.